So Robert called me and uh, asked if I would preach on Father's Day, I assume because I'm the oldest father here, one of the oldest. And I told him that I, I actually, in 38 years, I never gave a Father's Day message. I, we save that stuff for men's retreats and that kind of thing. Uh, just, I just tend to whatever, the only themes I ever preached on was Christmas and each, otherwise, whatever the day was, we just kept on rolling in whatever, whatever the series that we were in. I did preach on marriage once, and afterwards, my wife, who was the worship leader, got up and had to correct me. She said, we've been married 18 years, not 17 years. <laughs> True story. It was fine. It was fine. And then I did preach on parenting once. And we got home, and my associate called me and said, hey, Joe, you left your son at church. <laughs> tr tr true story. So I uh, stayed away from these, these topics. So I, I told Robert I would pray about it and about preaching and, uh, on Father's Day. And if the Lord gave me something, it would. Well, my head barely hit the pillow. And immediately, a theme came to mind. And then at, literally throughout the night, points were coming. So it was like, okay, clear. The answer is yes. So I called Robert. So I'm not going to do a message specifically to fathers, but I am going to preach a message. Here's the title. If you want a title, it's humility. It's on humility. Humility, the true mark of manhood. So that's where we're going to go today. But I, I would almost want to subtitle it and uh, just subtitle it. Humility, the true mark of leadership. And so if, if women, you feel like you're off the hook today, it's not for you. Literally, every point that I will be giving is just as applicable to you because we're all leaders. Every person has influence, and if you have influence, you have leader. You, 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 you lead. And one of the most important traits of a true leader is humility, and so if you're going to lead, you've got to learn to walk in humility. In fact, somebody mentioned earlier uh, that who are the two people, you can't answer these, you pastors in the congregation, or if you're a daughter of a pastor back there, who are the two people in the Bible who are referred to as humble? There's two people, only two. Who knows who it is? Oh, wow. Most Either you're just being humble or you don't know. There are two people. Uh, Moses in Numbers 12. Now, the man, interesting because he actually was writing this, but that's a whole other deal. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. I, I have to laugh. I wondered if, you know, of course, the Holy Spirit wrote it, but I wonder if he writes, goes, Am I really going to write this? Is this really? Am I supposed to put this down? But he was humble and he was a leader. And then, of course, the other person was Jesus. And Jesus, of course, he could say that about himself because he was Jesus. He says, come unto me, Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. But I am going to focus on, on men. But one, one more thing, it is a hazardous thing to say, to do a message on humility, because the assumption, if you're going to preach on something, you have some experience in it. So let me just say from the get-go, I am preaching to myself today, okay? I am learning for three weeks now as I've been processing this. I have focused on this, and God has been speaking to my heart. So I am preaching to myself. So let's talk about humility for a little bit. Let me pray first, okay? Father, we just bless you and we praise you. We worship you. 
we exalt you. You are God. You are king. And just, just take a minute right there where you are at. Just, just ask God to speak to you. Open your heart to him. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher today. So, Father, I just submit myself to you. I pray that just whatever is of you that I would share, Lord, you would, you would bring that forward. And whatever is not, Lord, you would just somehow cast that aside. Holy Spirit, I need you today. I'm desperate for you as a speaker. We are desperate for you as hearers today. So, God, we, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So humility actually has a two-pronged expression. It has a vertical expression to God and a horizontal expression outward to others. I'm going to spend just a few minutes on the vertical expression of humility because I want to spend most of our time on how it, how it plays out among each other. Let me give you a definition. Again, this is primarily of, of, of vertical humility. Let me say first, humility is not self-abasement. It's not self-flagellation. It's not self-depreciation. It's not groveling. You are, I love that song, you are a child of God. You are his child. You are his beloved. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are called. You are empowered. You are gifted. I'm not a big fan of the I am nothing kind of language. I understand where it comes from. I get it. But you aren't nothing. You are something in God's eyes. You are blessed. And so humility is not going around thinking, oh, I'm just a terrible person. Rather, humility is this. I'll give you a definition. It'll be up on the screen. Is it is an awareness of God's greatness and our neediness, which leads to total, absolute, complete submission and total and absolute and complete dependence. So you are completely submitted to his will. Because you see how great he is and how needy we are, and you are completely and fully submitted to him. So humility, this vertical humility, is really rooted in two things. It is rooted in a, what I like to call a vision of God's greatness. Is you are just, it's, it, you are totally, and notice I use the word vision. But I'm, and I'm talking about that vision that God gives you of himself in your heart. I'm not talking mainly about an intellectual understanding, even that you get from Scripture, although you have to get it from Scripture. I'm not talking about this grasping that you have of God when you go out and you look at a sunset and you go, oh, God must be great. That's all fine and good. That's great. That's part of it. But I'm talking about that kind of, of, of grasping of God where he shines the light of his glory in your heart. It's that glory that you see when you are, you are in your quiet time and it's dark and you can't see a sunset. And you're not, you're not filled with something. You're not excited because God has just done some miracle in your life. There may be nothing going on in your heart really, but God shines his glory in your heart and you see him here. That vision is what I'm talking about. So it is a vision of God's greatness and then it is a vision of our neediness, our utter sense of desperation for God. In the Beatitudes, the first Beatitudes said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. There are two words for poor in Scripture. One is penes, which means having a little bit. You know, you're, not, you're not dead broke, you just don't have, but you don't have much. The second word, and this is the one he uses, is patokis, which means total abject poverty. It is to have absolutely nothing. 
How many SOT grads out there? SOT, raise your hand. Just graduated. Yes. I just got to give a plug for SOT. Man, I've been through so many things over the years and training all that. Man, if you have not signed up for SOT, if for no other reason, the hardest part, maybe the hardest part was we had to memorize verses, whole chunks of verses. So SOT grads, remember that in John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides me and I in him, he does, it bears much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can only do a little bit. No. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it is this total sense of God, I am desperate for you. And I love, I, I use the word desperate. We, I love the way all peoples emphasizes a FaceTime, spending time alone with God. And I would say, yes, that's so critical. Now, you already know that you need to see God. You already know that you're needy, but we don't roll out of bed with that on our mind. I don't roll out of bed thinking about the greatness of God. I don't roll out of bed depending upon God. I roll out of bed with an inclination toward self-dependency. And so for me, I know I have to every day take some time to focus on God, to refocus on the greatness of God and my need for him. So that's the vertical. That's the vertical humility. Now, but here's the thing. Vertical humility is not stagnant. It doesn't, it necessarily flows out to others. And so let's move on to horizontal humility. That humility that is expressed, it starts with the humility before God, but then it will, it will necessarily flow out to others. Our humility before God is therefore measured by our humility before others. So just, I'll, I'll, I'm going to pull a Jeff Bianchi. I'm going to say that again. Our humility before God is measured by our humility before others. We prove our humility before God in how we express it to others. So let's talk about that. Now, what I'm going to do with this, I'm not going to give you a definition of what I first gave you was a vertical definition of humility. I'm not going to give you a definition of horizontal. What I'm going to do are give you five ways that horizontal humility, that humility as is expressed to others, what it looks like. Now, here's the part I want to say. I want to encourage you to take notes. Every week, Robert encourages us to take notes. Now, be honest. How many of you take Robert, keep your eyes up here because this is going to be discouraging. How many, how many of you actually take notes? Okay, that's kind of what I thought. So just keep them, Robert. I'm glad you didn't see that. But I, I actually, I, would, I really, really, really want you to. And all I need you to do, and get your phone, put it somewhere, just find your notes on your phone, because I'm going to give you five points. All I want you to do is put the five points on it. I'm going to give you some place where you can reference it later. Because in many ways, my whole message and whether it really has any impact going forward will depend on whether you do what I'm going to have you do afterwards. Chuck Swindoll, you ever heard of Chuck Swindoll? Charles Wendell, one of the greatest preachers of the last 50 years, he used to say that he thought there must be these giant erasers on the sides of the doors that as people walked out, it erased what he had just said. And I go, I get that. I, yeah, I hear that. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an assignment at the end, but you've got to have those written down somewhere, okay? So I hope some of you will. I, you don't, don't let me know if you did or didn't. I don't want to be discouraged like, like Robert is now discouraged. So number one, how does humility express itself for others? Number one is you seek to serve. You're a servant. 
the most profound, I, I would say, and I think I could show this many verses, the most profound, clear expression of humility is servanthood. It means that wherever you go, whoever you're with, you have the mindset that you put others first. You have this mindset of how can I help? What do you need? What can I do for you? Robert mentioned last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was a guy named John who just is a servant. Some, somebody around here, this bunch of, actually, I just got to say this. The, the servanthood spirit of this church and the leadership is astounding. It really is. I mean, I mean that. You guys, genuine humility expressed through servant from Robert all the way to everybody. It's just amazing. But he mentioned one person. Some people have a gift of service. They just naturally serve. They just naturally look for things to do. But God didn't gift people with the gift of service so that the rest of us say, well, that's not my gift. He gave people the gift of service, A, so there makes sure at least there was some serving that took place. But second of all, to model for the rest of us what servanthood would look like. And one of the primary expressions of humility is servanthood. Now, that, it is overwhelmingly clear in Scripture, but there's one passage that connects servanthood with humility that I'll have us point to. I'm not going to have you go there. I'll be, at one point I will. But in Matthew chapter 20, James and John come with their, a lot of you know where I'm going now. James and John came with their mother to talk to Jesus. And it's, it's to me, again, I see humor in, in Scripture because I wonder how this took place. They came to Jesus and they were going to ask, the mother was going to ask, ask if his, her two sons could be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he set up his kingdom. And I, I just wonder, how did that even come about? I mean, did, did James and John, were they talking to mom and say, Mom, we really, did they initiate it? Lord, man, would you, we really would love to be on the right and the left hand when, he, when the kingdom comes. Uh, would, you go, would you go talk to him? Or did she initiate it? And did she say, hey, you know what, guys, you, you guys really are, I mean, the rest of the 10 are great. I love them to death, but you guys are special. Let's go talk to Jesus, and let's just see if he'd put you. I don't know how it came about, but nonetheless, he comes to, they, they come to him, and she gets in a humble position. She gets on her knees, but then she asks a rather arrogant request. Would you put, when the kingdom comes, would you put my two sons on the right and to your left? And Jesus turns to the guys and says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you willing to drink the cup? That I've drank. There's suffering that comes with that. But then Jesus, then the, but then apparently the rest of the disciples heard about this request. So they were kind of fighting among themselves. So Jesus gathers together, and let me read to you, you'll see this on the screen, what he said. Verse 25, again, it's out of Matthew 20, you can look it up later. But Jesus called them, to, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever shall, would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that phrase in verse 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. A little full disclosure, my wife and our favorite show is Master Chef. So I know that's not manly of me to, to say that, but uh, we enjoy that. And a while back, we were watching a show, and this very legendary chef came to be a coach. This is amazing. I mean, they just oot and out over this guy. And if you've ever, who's ever seen Master Chef? Okay, just a fun little 
cooking contest, and people are kicked off the show. And at the end of the contest, one of the young men was, was he lost, and so he's walking off, and they are totally de dejected. And this famous, legendary, uh, almost, I mean, he was, there was something ominous about him. He walks over, put his arm over the guy, and he walks, never seen this happen before. He puts his arm around the guy, and he talks to him. He says, you know what, son? You're going to be a great chef. You know why? Because you have humility. And then he said this. He said, arrogance will make you successful, but humility will make you great. Now, I don't say amen when I'm watching TV much, but man, <laughs> my wife and I just both looked at each other and said, man, that was good. The most profound, clear expression of humility is servanthood. Now, let me just do this before I get off of this point. I'll spend more time here on this than any other, but I, I do want to say just, I do want to speak directly to, to husbands and fathers today. One of the controversial topics for generations has been male leadership in the home. And of course, in, in, in Ephesians 5, it says that as, the husband, as, as Christ is head of the church, so the man is the head of the wife, and as the, the church submits to the church, so the wife is to submit to the husband in, in everything, it even says, in everything. And the problem comes because, and I've seen this again and again, because the husband feels like it's their responsibility to make sure the wife obeys that verse. And yet, you look at the very next verse, and, P, and, and Paul turns to the men, he says, husbands love you, the very next verse, he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. How did, how did Jesus, how did he lead? He gave his life. He laid down his life. So here's what I have said for years. Now, yes, is there a leadership the husband's supposed to bring? Of course. Is there, is there a spiritual covering we have? Of course. But I would submit to you that what headship means, first and foremost, is you are the head servant. You are the head servant. You, we as husbands, we outserve our family. We outserve our wife as an expression of humility. All right, number two. Number two, turn offenses. So again, what does humility look like? Number one, a servant. Number two is turn offenses into opportunities. Turn offenses where you are offended into opportunities. We... Uh, we do live in an incredibly thin-skinned culture. Part of it is because we live in an incredibly caustic and critical. I mean, people get paid to be critics. We have professions that you're a critic. I mean, it's just, it, I mean, so I understand why it is what it is. But still, in many ways, we live in a rather thin-skinned culture. And in the church, we suffer from the same thing. I mean, how many people... How many, you don't, don't raise your hand, how many people do you know who were part of a church and they, 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 they were offended and they left the church, they pulled out of a ministry, they pulled out of a small group because they were offended in some ways. And again, I don't want to minimize the hurt that takes place there. In part, I understand because you come to church, it's like the one place you feel like this is family, I'll be respected and treated well. And when it doesn't happen, it really hurts even more. Nonetheless, we do ourselves a disservice when we, when we run away from hurts and when we run away from offenses instead of, instead of leaning into it. 
Now, the phrase that we oftentimes say when we are talking to people and offended is to say, well, you know, we just need to be unoffendable. You heard that phrase? We just need to be unoffendable. There are books with that, being unoffendable. And I get why that is said, but I don't, I kind of struggle with the phrase because I'm not sure if that's possible because you get offended. When somebody says something hurtful, it hurts. It's offensive. And so, therefore, when, 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 and I take that to me, don't be offended, is, well, don't let it bother you. And I don't know how realistic that is. Therefore, when somebody comes to you and they say, man, this really hurt, please don't say, well, you just don't let it bother you. They'll say, man, that hurts. And you enter into that hurt with them. So we get offended. That's being human. The question is, where do you go with that hurt? What do you do with that hurt? How do you respond to it? And do you lean in to say, God, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? Now, there's a lot of examples I could give in Scripture about that. The most notable would be when, uh, when um, Joseph, you know, was offended by his brothers, thrown into the pit and all that. And at the end of it, he said, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. But that's not the example I'm going to give. I'm going to give a more, a more obscure example in 2 Samuel. You don't need to look it up. I'm going to read one verse in a minute. But in 2 Samuel, King David is going through a town called Bahiram, and this guy named Shammai comes along who felt like he was an illegitimate king, and so he starts to throw stones at King David. He starts to curse at him. He says, you are a man of blood. He says, you are evil. You are worthless. And he just railed on him, and Abishai... David's right-hand man at that point pulls out his sword and says, why are you letting that dog talk to you like that? I'm going to go cut his head off. Apparently, it's what they did in those, in those days. <laughs> and uh, David turned to Abishai and said, you know, what does this have to do with you? And then, then he went on to say, what, what are, he basically, he says, what if the Lord has called him to do this? Now, again, every illustration breaks down. I get it to some point, every example. But then listen to what David said. Listen, verse, the next in there, in, I don't verses, but chapter 16. He says, it may be, he says to him, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. In other words, what if the Lord is in this? What if God has something for me? And that takes incredible humility. It takes incredible humility when somebody has come against us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and to take the eyes off of them, and and instead of saying, well, who are you to say this, and how could they say this, and look what they've done to me, and to step back and say, God, is there something in this you have for me? And that's hard to do. It takes humility do that. Now, let me just say this. I'm not saying, I'm going to just give a caveat here. I'm not saying that we should let people walk all over us, that we should be people's doormats. And I, I'm going to, now listen real carefully here because I want to make sure. I'm going to take one piece. In the case of, of the more extreme abuses, whether it be physical or emotional or certainly sexual, I would handle that differently. Okay, so you got what I'm saying here? So if that's what you're dealing with, just kind of ignore what I just said. Okay. That's real important. Okay. But what I am saying is the normal, everyday, garden variety kind of offenses that we all 
we all dole out and we all get, lean into that and say, God, what are you trying to show me? Start with what does God want to show you because God may be up to something. Uh, you know, it's funny when you're, as I'm going, when you're, I'm going through the mess and all these different memories are crossing my path and, and one popped up I haven't thought of in years, but we, we, at New Hope, we had two major crises that just, I mean, tore me up inside. And the, one was about 20 years ago. The other was 38 years ago, 37 years, 35 years, a long time ago, almost 40. <laughs> uh, and we were three years old as a church, and we'd grown to three or 400, and we were making some significant changes in how we were going to go about doing church how we were going to go about, really, our church government. And it was totally different than the background, the Southern Baptist background that I was part of at the time, where it was congregation. We were going to go to elder rule, elder-guided church, which is unheard of back in those days, for Baptist churches anyway. And there were three men in the church who opposed me, and they opposed me. And it tore me up, because I was, we were new as a church. I was 31 years old, and you know, when you're the Preacher boy growing up in the church, you're like the golden child. Everything, everything you do, they love. And, and, and so now, for the first time in my life, I was facing serious opposition, and I got physically sick. I mean, physically sick. Actually, two times in my whole ministry, I read, I read my manuscript. And I literally, that day, back then, I, when you're the preacher back then, you didn't have guest preachers. You, just, you had to preach. That was, that was kind of the rule, at least I thought. So I literally could barely speak. I read my manuscript. It's, I'm sure it was terrible. They were saying, Joe, go home, go home, and we want to go home too. I'm sure they didn't care to hear it. But that's how sick I was. And I'll never forget, my wife and I were invited to go to this conference, or actually it was a banquet, where Bill Bright, the, the founder of, uh, now it's crew, was Campus Crusade back then, one of the most powerful, significant, meaningful, and humble men I've ever known. And he was speaking, and we're at this banquet, and I'm sitting, and I'm looking, and out of Bill Bright speaking on being filled with the Spirit, which is what he always spoke on, which is wonderful, and between me and him was the key ringleader that was opposing us. I mean, the whole night, I'm looking at the back of his head, and just, stir, just getting stirred up and stirred up, and at some point, God just somehow broke in, and I'll never forget, he said, he said, Joe... I died for that man. You love him. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And God just used that to turn my attitude towards him and begin to change what was going on inside of me. And if I had just stayed focused on him, I would have missed what God wanted to show me. Now, I wasn't humble at that point, guys, folks. God just broke in anyway. But that's what it takes. It takes humility at some point for, for you to stop and say, God, I'm, I, they may be totally blowing it. They may have been out of line, but to stop and say, but God, what do you want to show me? And humility will enable you to take offenses and turn them into opportunities for God to speak into your life. All right, number, number three, seek to learn. Seek to learn. Be a learner. Be teachable. There's... I'm going to read several verses out of Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with verses that talk about the importance of being teachable. I'm just going to read a few real quick, okay? Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline or instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, NAS says is stupid. I know that's not a word we don't like to use, but that's in the Bible, NAS. Being smart isn't knowing everything. Being smart is knowing you don't know everything. 
Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own, in his own eyes, but a wise, man, a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 15, 32, he who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. And Proverbs 25, 12, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. He says, reproof is like gold. If I were to come to you and say, here's some gold I want you to have, well, you wouldn't be defensive. You wouldn't say, well, who are you to give me gold? If I want gold, I'll get my own gold. And you would take it and you would, you would listen to it. More than anything else, the thing that stands in the way of being a, a learner is pride, is we, what we think we know, what we need to know. Um, early on in my ministry, again, it's funny what comes to mind, these little memories of very unhumble experiences. But early on in my ministry, and Rob, I don't know if you've suffered from this at all, but Early on in my ministry, I actually, when people would come to me with advice or just suggestions, um, I actually felt like I need to act like I already knew what they were saying. I, I'm serious. It's like, now I didn't outright say, oh, I already know that, or oh, you just now found that out. I, I didn't, I, it wasn't that ridiculous. <laughs> but it's like, because I felt like if they were giving me information, I didn't know it, they wouldn't respect me as a leader because I'm the leader and I'm supposed to know. I, I really felt that way. And man, it was so freeing when I finally said, no, I don't. A, it honors them when I say, in fact, three of the most important words you can ever learn are, I don't know, or I didn't know that, or four words, I didn't know that. <laughs> and this is, it's good for all of us, but men especially, I mean, this is why we don't, men are known for not wanting to go ask for directions, Right? <laughs> I mean, what is that but pride? It's like, you don't know where you're going. I don't know. And so being a learner, and here's what, I've, here's what I have discovered over the years, that I can learn from anybody, absolutely anybody, from a kid to some elderly man or woman who has never spent a, didn't get out of high school. They have experiences that I can learn from anyone. Okay, number four. Are we on four? What number are we on? Four. Shows honor. Number four shows honor to every person. To be humble is you show honor to every person. Now, when I say showing honor, I don't mean simply saying honoring things. That's great to do that. But I mean you genuinely hold them in high esteem. You genuinely esteem people. Philippians 2, 3 it's, again, all these verses that you got to do. If you really look at it carefully, you have to give kind of a double take. Philippians 2, 3. I think we have it up there. Do we have that for you guys? Boom. No. I have it here. Maybe you'll get it there. If not, listen. Philippians 2, 3. There we go. All right, good. Philippians 2, 3. The whole context is about humility, the humility of Jesus, by the way. But I don't have time to go. There's a whole other sermon. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Now, that's a, that, that phrase, consider one another, 
as more important than your phrase. It's one I've always kind of stumbled over a little bit. But notice he doesn't say that others are more important than you. All right. Thanks for the all right. Come on. He says, consider others more important than yourself. But again, I go, what does that mean? How do, how do I, I consider them? So here's, here's just practically what I've done with that. Is that humility, and I think it takes some humility, that humility sees every person as amazing. That person's amazing. Now, um, I know what some of you may be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my ex-girlfriend, my ex-wife, my ex-husband, my boss, my colleague. Uh, but really, inside, inside every person, underneath that exterior that isn't so amazing, is someone who is amazing. And I really mean that. I really mean that. C.S. Lewis said there are no ordinary people. And there's a whole lot more you could say about that. There was a man at uh, New Hope years ago, many years ago. I won't say much more in case this gets out there. I don't think it will. But. And he was this guy who would come every Sunday, and he never smiled. He never he didn't say much. He didn't say hello during the greeting time. He didn't greet people and just, just kind of walked in and out. And, and uh, I always, I just got to wonder, but he, every week he was there. And I just kept wondering, what makes this guy tick? And so one day I, I said, hey, can we grab coffee? I like to do that kind of thing anyway. And we sat down and I just started probing and asking and telling me about yourself and tell me your story. And pretty soon the guy just began to open up. I mean, again, this guy, I never heard him say five words. We, we, I, I would say hello. He wouldn't even hardly say hello on the inner out coming out on Sunday. And he just starts to open up and tell me about his life. And before long, he's tearing up as, he just, as the story that was inside of him began to come out. And I, and I said to him, man, where have, where's that person been? We need to see that person. Because inside was this amazing person, and every person, so I say again, every person is amazing. Whether you're old or you're young, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're attractive or unattractive, whatever that is, whether you're educated or uneducated, no matter what color of skin you have, every person is amazing. And we need to honor that in them. I'll tell you what. Uh, a revival of humility and racism would be gone. It would be gone. Because we would look at every person and find that they are amazing. The, the one, the one, probably the verse that more than any other kind of became what shaped what, how I at least tried to approach ministry more than anything else as a pastor was Acts 20, 28, where... Paul was speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. And here's the phrase, which he purchased with his own blood. Which he purchased 
And when you start to, I think that's what it means. It says, consider them better than yourselves. Consider them more important. They're so important. They were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, but, but it means you got to step back and say, I'm not all that. They're all that. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm all that too, actually, but they're all that. We're all all that before God. All right, and then finally, number five, seek to listen. Humble people are good listeners. Now, I'm not going to say much here because next week my wife's going to preach on that whole, for the whole sermon, okay? She's going to preach on curiosity, so I'm just going to say just a couple of things on, on, on if you listen to people, that means you're showing value to them because you think they have something valuable. And if they think they have something valuable, you want to hear it. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You've heard that before. When you're talking, you're not learning. When I'm talking, I'm saying what I already know. When I'm listening, I'm learning. And, I, and I, it, there's great value in listening to people. So all I'll say, that's my wife's sermon next week. So let me, let me, let me close with this. Uh, two things. Number one, so, okay. Um, so in a minute, those five points, are, we're going to put them up here. So get ready for that team back there. Thank you. Uh, okay, so I'm going to come to this in a minute. Humility, two things to close with. Humility is a learned trait. I roll out of bed proud, self-reliant. And, I'm, and I've, been preaching on, I've been preaching for 50 years. Again, I have a, I have a, a FaceTime every day, not because I'm so spiritual as I am so unspiritual. I mean that. I'm so, I, I, I don't roll out of bed depending upon the Lord. And Jesus said this. He said, back to Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, learn of me, learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart. It's a learned trait. Humility is something you have to intentionally and consciously work at. It won't happen just by osmosis. So how do you do that? So how do you do that? Okay, here's, here, here's why I wanted you to write these five things down. Here's how you learn to be humble, to grow in humility. It's not, well, I'll say this. Start doing these things here. Okay, in other words... Don't simply get on your knees and say, Lord, I just make me humble today. Lord, give me humility. Do, do that. Lord, I'm dependent upon. Do that. Pray for it. But then get up off your knees and go wash the dishes. Get up off your knees and go to your five-year-old daughter and say, you know, hon, I was going to watch this game today. But you know what? Let's go watch, I don't know, Bambi in my day for the fifth time. I'm going to do that with you today. And what I'm saying is the way you press into humility is by doing this. Do this. Don't wait for it to kind of just osmosis. God just, I'm going to give you humility, and he pours in just, and then, no, do humility. Do it. Just, just do it. It's like there's a commercial there. The, the next time you're, you're going to get with someone, remind yourself, today I'm going to listen. 
I'm going to talk as little as I, have to, I can. But when I talk, I'm going to ask questions. And I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to put my phone on whatever. Mute. Put it away. Uh, you become humble by doing humble. Then finally, I want to close with this. I'm going to give Jeff Bianchi some props here. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15. So I told Jeff I wasn't going to preach to fathers. And he said, I just want to encourage you to consider this. And he pointed me to this. And I'm so glad you did, Jeff. I really mean this. I really appreciate this. And he, he, he pointed, and I didn't even know what it said. He quoted. I went back and looked at it. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 5 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And, Je- and Jeff said this. He said, you know, we, we desperately need fathers in our day. And I can tell you that. We need men of God who are spiritual fathers. There's such, we have a lot here, by the way. So many wonderful godly men here. So many. Man, we need more. We need more. So here's how I want to close with this. I want every man who's 21 or up to stand up. Wasn't sure if I should do this because I'm not your lead pastor, but this is what I would have done if I was your lead pastor. So I want every man who's 21 and up. And I'll just say this. I'm going to pray for you. you we, there is a, a world of people out there who desperately need you as a godly, spiritual father. And I don't mean just your kids that you may have, but I mean so many people who don't have a male spiritual person in their life that you can become their father to. But what I want to tell you is the road to that kind of healthy fatherhood is a road. It's a pathway of humility. Press into humility. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then Robert, you come up and you can close however you want. Just bow your heads. I'm going to pray over the fathers, myself included. Father, all the men, I should say, all the men, whether you're a father or not, 21 and up, Father, I just, I just pray for myself. I pray for all of the men who are here today who are legally adults. Father, I pray, I pray that you would pour out a spirit of humility upon us. Father, would you, would you, would you just grab our hearts God, would you grab our hearts, Lord, as we look and see you, Jesus, who is the most humble of all. You are meek and and humble in heart. And Father, would you just move in our midst and every man here and that you would put humility as a front burner issue for us that we would lean into every single day so that out of this crowd here, there would would be many who become the kind of spiritual fathers that this generation so desperately needs. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.